Bienvenue dans l'Alcove. Aujourd'hui, on reçoit Justin Kingsley. Welcome to the Alcove. Today, our guest is Justin Kingsley. Donc, I want to wish everybody a very warm welcome. Uh, following an exciting launch of our second season, uh, where we had three talks uh, centered around Black History Month, we're now kicking off our regular season with Justin Kingsley, which promises to be anything but regular. Before I tell you a little bit about our guest, I see that there's a lot of new faces, so I just want to give you a little bit more information about Alcove. Uh, every month we bring you an entrepreneur or visionary, and we invite them to tell... Can you guys hear me in the back? Yeah. To tell their story, and uh, we invite you to ask your questions. We want to hear about their missteps, things they would have done differently, things that they feel they did really well, and we invite them to discover a thing or two about themselves as well. His uh, vocation is to find the best way to tell the right stories. He's an author, a strategist, a creative director, a photographer, uh, to name just a few of the things that you do. Uh, Justin's done it all, but from what I've seen, he's only getting started. Um, before leaving his mark in the advertising world, the advertising world, he did uh, quite a few stints in agencies. He was a press secretary for the prime minister's office at the time, was the Honorable Paul Martin. He's also an author. He wrote two best-selling books, one on Georges Saint-Pierre, The Way of the Fight, and one on ideas on leadership called Weology, How Everybody Wins When We Comes Before Me. Justin's also created 24CH, a weekly documentary about the Canadians. He was a Sidley partner and chief socialist. He branded the 2010 Vancouver Olympics uh, with the very first bilingual slogan, which was with glowing hearts, the plus brillants exploits. He developed the branding and communication strategies for Georges Saint-Pierre. Anything else that we should add? No. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you very much for joining us here Thank tonight. You. It's really an honor to have you. Thank you. I know that you've done a lot of these talks, so hopefully we get to find out yet another facet of Justin tonight. All right, thank you. Thanks to everyone for being here. Before we start with the yep. more serious stuff, we'll go with a quick round of questions to warm you up a little bit. Finish my sentence. I was born in? Ottawa, 1971. When I was a kid, I thought I'd grow up to be? Prime Minister of Canada. <laughs> the first language I learned was? Je suis francophone. C'est Justin, si vous êtes francophone. I don't mind Justin, mais c'est Justin, si vous êtes francophone. My middle name is? I don't have one. I love to travel to? Home. <laughs> I hope to get the chance to work with? Me, me. Doesn't matter. <laughs> Doesn't matter. This year, I hope to visit this place for the first time. I... Uh, my God. <laughs> if I want to go somewhere, I just go. So I don't, I don't think in those terms. No, I don't know how to answer that question. If I want to go somewhere, I get a ticket and I go. That's so, a good answer. Uh, I, I never think, I never make plans that far ahead there. Okay. To, quant, uh, to quote Humphrey. Mm -hmm. um, now that Jimmy Fallon has some fierce late night competition, is that still your end game? No, I, that was just something I said in an interview. It's uh, it's the a distant it's a distant goal. Forget. Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> like so many people talk to me about that, but mm -hmm. uh, I actually not sure I'm a fit on that show. Uh, maybe one day I will be when I finish a film or I do something like that. But mm -hmm. it's just something you aim for to have a you know that expression shoot for the moon and 
settle for the stars. So I say, man, if I can get on Jimmy, it means I've made it. So it's just aspirational. All right. Uh, what I love most about politics is? I don't love politics. <laughs> I am a procrastinator, true or false? True. Bet you didn't know that I can... <laughs> Play the saxophone. All right. I met my wife at? Oh, my God. <laughs> Weinstein and Gavino's. <laughs> yes. Love at first sight. True love at first sight. True story. This yeah. year, my son is celebrating his? In a few days, he's going to be, Leo will be three years old. Uh, I've lived in the following cities. Oh, shit. Ottawa, Montreal, Toronto, Paris, Toulouse, uh, Montichiari di Capenedo in Italy. I think that's it. Okay. Having sisters has taught me? That I'm not an only child. <laughs> I really wish I was better at? Everything. If I need to win a bet, I will challenge my opponent to? Oh, it depends on the opponent, but uh, it depends on the opponent. If Could it's be, me. Oh, if it's you? Oh, then poker, fighting. <laughs> uh, and how many words per minute you can type? <laughs> oh, I'm very good at that. She's uh, really good at that. Oh, shit. <laughs> so two out of three is not bad. All right. Something I do every morning is? Stick my head under a nice cold shower. The last thing I posted on social media was? No idea. I'm all about the sound bite. A quote I tend to come back to often is? A quote? I tend to come back to often that you tell people. I've seen many videos, you're always doing quotes. Yeah. What's one that really sticks with you? Oh my God. These are very good, very hard questions. <laughs> Uh, well, the one I gave you, to begin, begin. Because people are looking for inspiration. To begin, begin. Just start. Yeah. To begin, begin. That's the one I gave you, and a lot of people are looking for inspiration. And there's no magic in inspiration. So I'll say this one for you. To begin, begin. Or and do the work. <laughs> yeah. And the last one, my favorite interview to date has been... I interviewed Andre Agassi. You weren't expecting Ed, that. You thought yeah. I was going to say the one I was interviewed in, but my yeah. favorite was the one I did with him. At C2. Yeah. Very nice. You go through it. I could right. give you a whole new set of answers, and it was like, these are, yeah. Um, okay, so let's get started. Okay. You are a proud Franco-Ontarien. Yeah. Uh, I'd like you to tell us a little bit about your childhood and what brought you from Ottawa to Montreal. I'm the son of a, I'm a government uh, child. Both my parents were in uh, the federal government. Uh, we're francophone, and my father and mother are both ardent francophones, so my sister's PhD was on linguistic minorities in Canada outside Quebec, francophones. Um, so yeah, I, I left Ottawa because um, I was wasting my time. I was a B student who never did homework, and I wasted my time in poli-sci at Ottawa U. And I played on the football team, and it was just a big joke. So I, one day my mom said to me, you like sports and you like to write, so why don't you go to journalism school? And I thought, that's a good idea. 
And I looked up, and there was Carlton in Ottawa and Concordia in Montreal. And I said, well, I want to get out of Ottawa. So I left, and I've left Ottawa twice. Mm -hmm. And the second time I left, I have to, I have to say the story. Um, my name's Kingsley. My father's Jean-Pierre Kingsley. And in Ottawa, everybody knew who, or knows who Jean-Pierre Kingsley is because he ran the federal elections uh, Elections Canada for 17 years. So my whole life, and when I worked in government, even when I was named press secretary for Paul Martin, uh, my hometown paper wrote the next day, Jean-Pierre Kingsley's son named press secretary. <laughs> and so I realized if I was going to make something of myself, I, I needed to leave Ottawa. And so uh, I think a big part of it is just to try to get out of that Ottawa mind frame. And, and I feel a lot like... Uh, Every day I wake up with a machete and, and there's a jungle and a mountain and, I, I, and that, that's what I like. So I needed to get away from Ottawa and Montreal is the freest place on earth that I've seen. It allows you to forge your own path. You can be anyone you want here, I think. I think. Uh, if you're bilingual. I, I don't believe that. I, I don't agree with that. I, no. I think no. I think you can be anyone you want to be in Montreal, and, and you'll be accepted and respected. Now, if you come here and you're anglophone and you don't bother to learn how to say bonjour, comment ça va, yeah. then you're an asshole. But <laughs> we're still going to let you stay. <laughs> yeah. Um, for people to get you, I think that it's really important for them to understand how diverse your path has really been. Um, you've gone from a high school substitute teacher, which I was kind of shocked about, uh, to a busboy, to a journalist, to you know all sorts of things. So tell it was us. Was actually from journalist to busboy. That's true. <laughs> but we'll talk about that a little bit. Okay, later. then I'll um, let it go for now. So, so tell us a little bit about your professional trajectory, and what along the way did you feel were some of those defining moments for you? Okay. Um, a lot of people say to me, wow, you've done so many different things, and, and I've worked in politics, and I've worked in agencies, I've worked in PR, in branding, in, in all kinds of different fields, but I, I have one skill, uh, one main skill, and that's writing. And it's, it's learning how to tell the right story. And that's a skill that applies to absolutely all fields. Every field in the world needs good people to tell good stories. Yeah. Um, so that's a skill that I've developed over many, many years, and I've been able to apply it to a bunch of different fields because I'm curious, I'm open-minded, and I'm interested in what other people are doing. So, and if I can give you a quick example, um, like when I was at the Gazette, I worked, I was in journalism school here at Concordia, and I. I was freelancing for the Gazette, and the editor came to me and said, there are complaints from other reporters that you're doing too many jobs for the Gazette in, to the union. Mm. And so I said to, to, to Jack that, I said to him right away, I knew, I said, I have, a, I have a solution. And he goes, what's the solution? I said, give me every shit assignment that nobody else wants, and they'll stop complaining, and I don't care. Because everyone thinks that writing about the Canadians or Georges Saint-Pierre or the Prime are big deals. But it's when you can go to the West Island to a Bantam girls hockey tournament on a Sunday afternoon and find an amazing story. Yeah. That's what people like me should, I believe, focus on. Uh, it's human interest, it's finding the emotion, finding a connective tissue with someone who, well, who doesn't care about hockey, but will read a story about 15-year-old girls playing hockey because of the person you chose. That's, the, that's what gets me off. And um, it's funny because uh, I was doing all kinds of work and, and uh, when people say, wow, you get to work with the Habs and the Prime Minister, what's the secret? 
And I always say, hand washing awareness week. And they give me the same perplexed look. <laughs> I said, I was at the Ottawa Citizen, and uh, everyone knew who I was because of my dad. And I was told, go interview the mayor about hand washing awareness week. And I found a way to do a good story about it. And you write a thousand of those stories that nobody else wants. And at some point, if you've done that often enough for long enough, someone will come and say, hi, we have GSP here. Do you think you could work with him? It's just hard work and dedication and focus and loving what you're doing and not caring if it's glamorous or spotlight. It's got nothing to do with that. Zero. But it seems you had a real like liking for journalism and yeah. you worked your way up, but, but then you didn't stay in that field at all. You changed completely. Yeah. I realized one day I was at the Canadian press. I was 26 or 27 years old. I was making 75,000 bucks a year. I had six weeks vacation. I got paid overtime. I went to the Olympics. I covered Parliament Hill. I covered the Leafs, the Habs. But I realized I was writing about what other people are doing. And I, I have a feeling inside me that I wasn't brought here to write about what other people are doing. I have a feeling that I have something to contribute that's different. I don't know what that is yet. I'm working on it. Um, so I, I had to stop. I knew I had to stop. So all my friends thought, wow, you have the best job in the world. You get paid to go to sporting events and write about them. And I, I couldn't stand it anymore. So I, uh, I, I had a bit of a breakdown. I, I quit my job. I broke up with a, a woman I loved, and I worked. I, I have a friend who owns a, owned a bar in Toronto called Unamas, very cool bar. And I said, I'd like to come work at your bar. And he said, uh, oh, you want to be a bartender? And I said, no, no, no. You want to be a server? And I said, no. You want to work at the door? Because I'm, I'm huge. <laughs> and I said, no, because I'm going to get the shit kicked out of me. He goes, well, what do you want to do? I said, I want to be a busboy. And I went from that job to being a, a busboy, and you could still smoke in bars, and I don't smoke, and I don't know, I had to, I had to get back down to basics, so I spent two years on a friend's sofa uh, studying photography from one of the best photographers in Canada, working for nothing, and paying my rent for the sofa I was sleeping on from being a busboy in a bar. And then you went from busboy, not directly, but you ended up being press secretary. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For the Prime Minister. Yeah. Yeah. And I want to talk about that because you okay. actually did, you did a fail camp conference yeah. about specifically that. Yeah. Um, tell us about that experience. Okay, so I went, I was a journalist and I, I, I covered some big events as a journalist. Then I did the busboy thing and then I started freelancing in, in PR and GR. And I found I was pretty good at crisis management. Uh, I, I mean, I got issues. I'm an impatient person and I, I get pissed off about things that bother nobody else. But in a crisis situation, I just get, bless you, I get calm. I, don't, I can't explain it, but I get really calm. And they say in, in, in the, the eye of the storm, you know when there's a hurricane, the eye is the best place to be. That's how I feel in crises. So I applied for a job in the government as the spokesperson for the government of Canada. And uh, I was the only person who applied because it was during the sponsorship scandal. <laughs> Nobody wanted the job, but I wanted the job. And it went really well. Um, so then I got recruited by the Prime Minister's office, and I was 33 years old at this point. And I thought I was made for this job. I thought I was, I was perfect for it. 
Um, and I, I, to this day, I know I, I, I did a, a really good job with what I could do, but it, it really it broke my heart. Uh, I'll be honest with you. I'm a, I'm, I, have a public, I have public service in my blood. Mm -hmm. You know, when my father was an officer of parliament, my mother was in the government. He, my dad was the first to go to university in, in his family, you know. And I, I thought this was going to be it, but I discovered that in politics, your, your, en your, your adversaries are sitting across from you, but your enemies are all around you. And um, listen, I, I got a lot of faults, but it's, it's about teamwork. Yeah. And if you know people who worked with me closely, they will understand, like, I want to know what are you good at, what are you good at, here's what I'm good at, let's build a team, and we can do anything. And that's not how it works. It's not how it works. So after a year, I resigned. I resigned from the dream job again, but I, I, I couldn't live with myself. I couldn't sleep anymore. I, I didn't feel right about what I was doing. So I left, and I came to Montreal to cassette thanks to François Dufault. So, let's... D'accord. Uh, I want to talk about... Uh, I want to talk about, about personal growth. So, it's important for anyone who wants to succeed to obviously, you know, have personal growth, but I feel like this is an especially big theme in your life. Yeah. Um, you know, you left this dream job and I feel like this keeps happening in your career where instead of maybe sticking it out, you, you always kind of are very hard on yourself. Like you told me the story of when you went to Concordia and you got a really bad grade. You thought you had written a great paper and they gave you a D and said, who do you think D you minus. are? D minus. <laughs> who do you think you are? What you did with that was take the paper and stick it in your face and look at it every day. When you could have been a server, you said, no, I want to be a busboy. And, and this keeps... Uh -huh happening why do you think that is is that because you feel like you need to is it like a masochistic thing a little bit you want to really learn from your mistakes i think i'm very hard on myself yeah my mom tells me i'm really hard on myself but i want to grow i want to get better i want to constantly improve who i am from every facet possible and i've been like that as long as i can remember and i'm gro i'm grossly aware of all my inadequacies but I, I don't mind. It's it's. I don't. I'm not critical about it. I just know I want to do this better. Uh, things I don't care about. Well, fuck. I put them aside. But the competition's with me. My competition's not with you. It's not with her. It's not with that dude. It's with me. And so I I really want to just get better. It's probably. I mean, I I, I was a bit of a reject when I was a kid. Mm. You know, and and uh, for many years. And you wonder, when you're that kid, why don't these people like me? So maybe it's connected to just wanting to be liked and wanting people to say, hey, that was good what you did. Hey, that was great what you did. And plus, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a really emotional guy. My heart's on my sleeve. Yeah. I look like a fucking jock. I'm 6'3". I love sports. But I'm a writer. You know, I, I cry at ads. Good ads make me cry. <laughs> You know, so you want people to see that they think when they see me. I walked in high school with, you know, books by Somerset Mom and my favorite writers, and all my friends would say, oh, how many pictures in your books, JK? Because they had no idea. So I don't know, maybe I'm trying to, maybe I got a chip on my shoulder. My best friend asked me, why the hell do you have such a big chip on your shoulder? But I don't know. I don't know, and it's a bit of an existential question for me, yeah. because I'll think about it a little bit, and then I'll say, okay, enough thinking about it, go do something. 
But you're all about extremes, I feel. Yeah. Like, you were bullied as a kid. You say that you had, you know, no friends, and that really contributed to building your creativity. Yeah. Um, and you go from being this really shy, almost mute, like you were saying, kid. They thought I was mute. Some of the kids at school thought I was, uh, I, I, I was mute. To, yeah. and I'm going to be brutally honest, like, yeah. before we spoke, I'm like, who's this guy? He thinks he's so cocky. Like, I couldn't. Yeah. And you have, no, but you have yeah. this completely opposite, you know, it's like you went from this little shy kid to being this guy. Yeah. Is it, do you need that opposition? Do you need those extremes? I don't know. I don't think about it that much. I think there's Justin, I think there's JK. And there's people in this room that I worked with and some I worked with closely. Mm. And they know. Because it's always, I always know it's funny. I, I, I do an exercise to break the ice. When I do brainstorms with clients, when, when we're trying to get, like we do personal branding. We did GSP, Sugar Sammy, Francois Chartier, all when I was at Sidley. And to break the ice, what we do in a brainstorm, it, what I do, is I get people to tell us what kind of cheese they are. If they were a piece of cheese, what kind of cheese would you be? And everyone laughs. But it's because when you do brainstorms with high-level people, yeah. there's the CEO or the senior VP, fucking important, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and then there's the other. And so everyone's scared of being who they are and, and saying what they, what they really feel. So the way that I break that down is I say, okay, if you were a piece of cheese, what kind of cheese would you be and why? And I always say I'll go first. But I'm a blue cheese. That's what, pardon? Yeah. <laughs> to some people, I stink. Some people hate my fucking guts. If you go ask Mariev over there, she'll tell you. There's people at Sid Lee, they see me coming down the hall, they turn around, they go the other way. I know it. I don't think they know me. I really don't. Because I, I, in my heart, I'm a gentle, generous, caring, thoughtful person, I think. But I say to them, I'm blue cheese. The closer you get to me, the faster you know if you're going to like this guy or really dislike him. But if you take a little bit of time to get to know blue cheese and you melt it on a pear or maybe a nice little cracker and you try it again, you go, you know what? It's not as bad as I thought. And then everyone goes, okay. And then you get a Swiss cheese and then you get a cheddar cheese and then you go, oh, I'm more of a melted cheese because I'm a softy. It's a wonderful exercise because then everybody's on the same level. But I'm blue cheese. Yeah. And I know I'm blue cheese. I accept I'm blue cheese. We that accept I, you as blue cheese Thank also. you very much. Um, so, listen, it's very clear you're an extremely passionate guy and you're very, very hardworking. Um, I think a lot for entrepreneurs, and there are entrepreneurs here, it's you have to give it your all. Yeah. Um, you have a family, you have yeah. a young boy. How do you find that balance? Because when you're super passionate about your work, it's very difficult to not kind of go overboard. And you've had that issue in the past. You've had a burnout. You've, you've had those yeah. It's not burnout, it's depression. Burnout is a term, it's a false term that people use to describe depression but not admit that they're going through a depression. But I worked in the field of mental health and mental yeah. illness for the Canadian Institutes of Health Research in the Institute of Neurosciences, Mental Health and Addiction as a knowledge translator to put mental health issues on the agenda nationally. And there is no such thing as burnout. It's depression. And I've been through it and uh, I think my issues with mental health are like the flu version. Yeah. So I'm, I'm very lucky. 
I don't, the one in one, one in one hundred Canadian suffers from schizophrenia. There's bipolar. There are a lot of much much worse issues than. So you, you learn, you get to learn these things. But sorry, I'm losing track of the question. I guess uh, my point uh, uh, is that no, no, work. You said something. Yes, I, it's I, becoming I more and more present in the workplace. Whether you want to call it a burnout or yeah. a depression. Yes. Um, because you're completely drained. Yeah. How do you find that balance? Well, it's good. You sacrifice your personal life. But it's not even a sacrifice. It's stages of life. My life has evolved. I'm evolving in life. And the people I care for and the people who care for me will understand that they're going to see me twice a year because I have a three-year-old. So, you know, like tonight, I'm, I'm actually, my son goes to bed at eight and, and I'm missing that. But I want to be here and I want to do this. But usually I don't book things at these hours because I want to be home. I want to put him to bed. I want to read him couple of books you know but um, work is a really fucked up thing in this world because I keep I'm writing a present I'm writing a thing about work because um, everyone says find something you love and you won't work a day in your life that is a load of baloney find something you love and you will work every day of your life That's but you will true. be happy and everything in life takes work who's in a relationship here Who's in a relationship that doesn't require work? We're, everything that matters requires work. So figure out shit you like to do, and then you'll be happy at work, as opposed to people who settle for a job they don't like doing, and then they're miserable, and their work suffers. So your work sucks because you're not really focused on it, you don't really care about what you're doing, and you're thinking about something else. So I, I got to really... I, I, I like... The, sh the stuff I do, you know, like I, I work hard, I train hard, I sleep well, and you know, I don't party a lot, but I never did, I'm lucky, I'm a really lucky dude, like I, I, I'm not into a lot of drugs, occasionally it happens, I'm not going to lie to you, I'm not going to lie to you, but and I don't drink a great deal, I have one or two last words, and then I'll hydrate, and I, I'm in bed at 9.30, 10 o'clock every night, I read till I can't keep my eyes open, and I'm up at 6.00. Till he gets up and then I, you know what I mean? Like yeah. you figure out a system that works for you. And what I, what the secret for me was this, I know some of the things I want to do. So if you know you want to write books, if you know you want to make a film, if you know you want proper clients and big projects, well, they don't just appear on your right. doorstep. Hand washing awareness week. <laughs> and I love that stuff. So that's the real key. Okay, so you knew that you wanted to be a writer. Yes. And you told me that when your wife went to Europe to... Be a professional basketball player. Yes. Um, you were getting up every morning super early and you were writing. No, every... Uh, yes, yes. Well, I wrote her a love letter every night. Oh, boy. For a year. Are there any guys in the room? Relax. Long distance relationship and I wrote her 200,000 words in the first year. Every morning when she got up, she had a love letter from her guy. Just to make you guys feel bad. Yeah. Um, Sorry, I had, to, I had to plug that. But guys hate it when I say that stuff. So you were getting up early to write your book. Yes. Um, some people believe that, you know, if that's really your passion, you should ditch everything else. You should give it 100%, dedicate all of your time to that. Others believe more in the pivot strategy, which is keep your day job, do what you're already good at and getting paid for, and try it little by little, see if you can make it work. What's your vision on that? Do what you're comfortable with. It's all about you. 
It's all about what you own as an individual and what you're comfortable dealing with. My parents said to me, I was really stressed and I, I've had anxiety problems and I, I wanted to quit my job and my, I can't remember if it was my mom or my dad or both of them, and they said to me, Justin, the worst thing that's going to happen to you, the worst thing is that you have to move back home into this house or the cottage. They have a nice house. <laughs> they have a fantastic cottage. Yeah. But I mean, so, but that's me. And so I've been able to four or five times in my career just drop everything. But I'm not a spendaholic. I, I didn't buy a car till I was 42. I, my money, I saved most of it. I put it in the bank because uh, other than expensive sneakers, uh, what am I going to spend it on? Mm -hmm. But that's me. Not everyone can absorb the same risk. Not everyone's open to that kind of risk. But again, when I said some things that bother these people don't bother me and vice versa, I think it's about each individual. What can you expose yourself to? What kind of, what, I always, what's the worst that can happen? That's it, what's the worst that can happen? But there's more to it. Yeah, you have to I'm know a white what, man from yeah. Ottawa yeah. with a solid family. My parents are still together. I'm a lottery winner. I'm not, I'm, I'm not gonna lie about it. Yeah. Fuck, it's, this is the world we live in. My wife, okay? She was one of the best 500 basketball players in the world at one point. She played for the national team in her country. She's from Ireland. She played in Germany, Ireland, France, Switzerland. She's a man, okay? We're millionaires. I'm living in a mansion, but she's a chick. Yeah. So she made 40,000 bucks a year as a star. And guys would come up to me and say, does she beat you? Oh, so I have a penis, so I can beat any female basketball player? Everything is relative. Mm. I got my thing, but people have to discover what's my exposure to risk, what's yours, and, and what do I really want to do? You have to know your limits. You have to know what you want, I think, and then how are you going to get there? And the other thing is, is that's where you want to go. I used to do this thing on Mount Royal. I, I lived on Esplanade across from the, the... So every morning I would go after I'd write to, to just... And so I'd pick a different start point and I'd look up at this, the, the cross. It's okay, this, today I'm going to go this way. It's never a straight line. Ever. It's never, ever a straight line. But when it turns, you go, okay, I'm going to go this way. And then if it's a jungle and you happen to have your machete, you say, okay, I'm going to try that. I like trying stuff. Okay, so let's, let's take this in more concrete terms yes. so that we can give these people something to walk away from mm -hmm. with. Um, <laughs> That's a very polite way of saying no one understands what the fuck I'm talking about. There's something that you're very good at, and people even mentioned it at the beginning. It's building personal brands. You did this for GSB. You've done it for yourself. Yes. What is your how-to? How can you help us walk away with a better understanding of how to build our personal brands? Okay. Don't talk about shit before you've made it. Proof. Be, be true. Don't bullshit people about what you can do. Yeah, I know people think I, I can be arrogant and I'm... So yeah. you, don't, you don't believe in fake until you make it? No. No, I don't. Like, I, I got a book going, I got a film going, I got all kinds of things. And my, I have a publicist who works with me and, and, and uh, I'm like, you're not talking about anything. When it's finished and I know that it's got enough quality that I believe in, then you can talk about it. I've had reporters call me, say, hey, what are you up to? I want to talk about I'm writing a book about giving right now. And I've had some calls from, I want, I've heard you, do, no, I ain't doing it. 
When it's finished and I know it's good, then you can talk about it. But there's so many pretenders out there. That's how, so, uh, so here's, what I try to do with, with when I brand someone is I say, what makes this person different from every other person in her or his field? And then, and then I build the whole story around that. But it's also, it has to be fact-based. It has to be truth-based. Because at some point, especially in today's world, with all the devices that we all have, someone's going to call you on your bullshit. And I don't want to be that person. I don't want you to ask me a question and say, you said you would do this, and, or you said you did this, and it's not true. I, I, I just can't do it. Make it. Make it, and then you can fake it. No, it doesn't work. <laughs> so once you've made something that you're proud of, you have something clearly defined that yeah. only you can do, yeah. what's the next step? That's a very general question. Um, how Tell us, okay, what was the process in a short answer yeah. form uh, with GSP? For the brand, the book? For him as a personal brand. Okay, so I was in the hallways at Sidley, and Martin Gauthier, who's the president of Sidley, was with uh, George's agents. And, and I'm walking down the hallway, and Martin Gauthier looks at me and says, Hey, uh, do you think you could build a brand for a person? And I lied through my teeth. I said, absolutely, who's the person? He said, George St. Pierre. Oh yeah, the fighter, yeah, no, yeah, for sure. And then I went to my office and I started sweating. But that's not the same thing as putting it out there in the media. That's with a colleague saying, the, the other flip side of it is I believe I can do anything I set my mind to. And so, and what you learn in journalism school is uh, uh, you, they teach, they taught me this at Concordia Journalism School, is if you can't, if, you, if you've never done something and someone asks you if you can do it, you say, yes I can, and you got 72 hours to figure out if you can do it. And so I lied. I said, absolutely, I know exactly how I would do it. But then I went and I looked at the briefs that we were doing on sneakers. I looked at all the, the, the work we had done for, for products that are up on, sh that are, that are on the shelves. And I said, well, I'm going to follow exactly the same process, except instead of it being a sneaker, it's a person. And when I said that to George, and I said, I, I want to apologize to you, George, I'm going to treat you like you're an object. Mm -hmm. But I need to do that to brand you properly. He went, okay, no problem. Just <laughs> tell me what you want from me. And that's how I did it. Machete. I know I can tell a story. That I know. Are you proud of that project? Oh my God, it's, it's a fantastic project. Uh, we developed his brand, we developed his marketing strategy, we developed his sponsorship strategy. Within 18 months, he had quadrupled his revenues, quadrupled his presence on Facebook, on Twitter, on YouTube. And then, and despite all this, okay, you want a lesson, guys? I'm gonna give you, I'll, I'll, I'll be honest here. I led the team that did all this work because it's not just me, I don't deserve all this credit. Most of it, but not all of it. <laughs> That's the arrogant part that she was talking about earlier. Um, and after I did all this, uh, Harper Collins in New York calls his agents and they want to do a book with George. Mm. I wasn't even considered. They wanted American writers to write a book about my guy, because he's my guy. Okay? Mm -hmm. And I could not believe it. And I had to fight to get the right to pitch to write the book. And I did. And here's what I said to them. We're in a meeting and, and, and I said to them, okay guys, so explain to me how this is gonna work. 
I know everything about George, the truth, and the stuff that nobody wants to know. And you know you can trust me because I haven't screwed you over yet. But what you're going to do is take a writer from the States and bring her or him up here. And they're going to interview George in English because they don't speak French. And has anyone heard George St. Pierre speak English? <laughs> He's not as eloquent or well-versed uh, well in English. Mm -hmm. I said, I can interview him in French. I know what the story is. I'm the shortcut. And I'm a good writer. They wouldn't listen to me. And then, and then I, I wrote a, a vision of what the book should be like without them knowing it. I found out who the, publish, uh, the guy publishing it in New York was. I contacted the agent in, in New York at CAA and said, I want to be in this conference call, blah, 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 blah. And then, and then the guy in New York said, well, why don't... He said on the phone, well, Justin, you sound like you're the right guy to write this book. Have you ever done any writing? Well, yes, I have. Well, I happen to have an email ready to send you now with 15 of my clippings from magazines, and, and I shipped it, and a week later, I had the job to write the book. Thank you. But no one's going to give you anything. I, that's another thing I start with. I start with expecting nothing. Expect nothing, and you're going to have to go get everything. Still, still today, with two number one books and all the stuff, I still today have to pitch and fight and convince people that I'm the right person to do whatever mandate they want to do. Just tell me one thing. Yes. Why didn't they put your name on the cover? Because they're jerks. <laughs> Was that hard for you? It, uh, yes. <laughs> I'm on page five or six or something. And it's really hard. Because yes. I wrote every word in that book. Every word. I researched it. That book is written from 13 and a half hours of interviews. It's 250 pages. But that's okay, because my father said to me, everyone who needs to know, will know. And now I can say I'm a New York Times best-selling writer because I did the work. And the other thing you have to accept is you're not always going to get the ha. But I'm not in this for the ha. I want to feel love, and I want people to say that's the guy who did this, but I, I don't need the... It's kind of nice to get. It's great to get it, but at the same time, you know it's superficial. Yeah. It's superficial. So I know we only have very little time left, so I want to... What? Yeah. <laughs> For you and me. Holy cow, that ever fly by. Um, but I do want to ask you about entrepreneurship, because yes. you've now been on your own for a couple of years. Three and a half years. And you said that you didn't feel like you were an entrepreneur. And I've heard people around me say, you know, I do want to start my own thing, but I, I don't have it in me, I, I can't do it. You said you learned how to become an entrepreneur. How do you learn to do that? You watch people who are better at it than you are. Uh, again, I'm going to talk about Sid Lee. It's one of the greatest creative shops in the world, but the, the, the leaders of that company are killers. They're killer business people. They are the best I've ever seen. How they negotiate, how they go after stuff. So I, it's real simple. You see someone who's really good at something, you watch them. You take notes and you follow. And there's another thing. The, the biggest secret, the most important thing for me is to be ready to walk away from the deal at any moment. And that's how you get more money and that's how you get better contracts. You left Sid Lee after six weeks and they brought you back in as a partner. I didn't leave Sid Lee, I was fired. 
Right. Because I got in a fight with a chairman. It's a very good story, but we don't have time for it. <laughs> and uh, it was right in the middle of the GSP thing. And when George calls the chairman and says, what the fuck are you doing? That's my guy. He's doing my thing. It puts pressure on. No, I'm just kidding. But I... I <laughs> no, you're not. I, no, I'm not. I, uh, I got fired from Sidley. Yeah. And because uh, I, I don't know why. To this, I had a big fight with the chairman. I fractured my collarbone. I was in a sling and we were, almost had a fist fight. It's a really... It's going to be a chapter in a book someday. It's really good. Um, but six weeks later, uh, I had a pulmonary embolism, by the way. So, okay, I'll, you, you want to hear this story? Okay. So I, uh, I was on holiday and I had a bike accident and I fractured my collarbone uh, at the age of 40. That's five years ago. And um, I couldn't sleep, so I, 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 I would sit all night in my chair and read or watch TV. And then I finally fell asleep sitting and I developed blood clots in my legs. I went up to my lungs and I had a pulmonary embolism. So I got fired from Sid Lee with a, two bones sticking out of my body and a pulmonary embolism. And um, I started my own business at that time and in six weeks I developed about $150,000 worth of new clients. But at the same time, my clients uh, were freaking out because I was doing big projects for them. And so what I said is, uh, I got fired without any compensation. I got uh, the whatever minimum notice. And um, I agreed to do the rest of the branding strategy for George for nothing, to finish the job I started. Um, and so I presented, so I was uh, literally trying to recover. From, it takes a year to recover from a pulmonary embolism. You have to, it's, it's a pretty, I came close to the dirt nap, I got to say. I, I came close to the dirt nap. Um, touch all the wood you got uh, and then CAA Creative Artist Agency the second biggest uh, art, artist agency in the world came to Montreal and the guy who had fired me was sitting in the room with the seven agents and I had trouble breathing but I, I pitched my strategy and, and I got a standing ovation from the LA and New York guys and the chairman came to me after that and said I was wrong and I apologize. He's a big man. And that's how I got back into Sidley. But that's how I made partner. I said, I'll only come back if you make me partner. And I work with someone now and he will be a partner too. And he's still at Sidley and he's a partner. But it's uh, Confucius. You guys have heard of Confucius? He, said, he wrote a lot of things that are very quotable. That's, there's one that's lesser known. And it's fuck him if they can't take a joke. That's my attitude. He said that. He, it's in it's in characters, so it's it's harder to. It's in the the, the uh, appendices of uh, his writings, but it, it essentially means if you're just doing this shit for money, then you're in trouble. And uh, as a lottery winner, white guy from Ottawa, I don't have to worry about that because I can live on twenty thousand bucks a year. If I can eat and I have shelter, and I can write shit, I, I don't and read. I'm. I'm okay, but I'm, I'm lucky that way. So, um, so yeah, you gotta be ready to walk away and know what you're worth. Know your value. Everyone's gonna try to shortchange you. People working in agencies, people working in businesses, they want to pay you the least amount of money they can for your beautiful talent. Yes, you're, everyone's going yes, you're tapping your friend. It's because that's how the business is built. Okay? You get paid 30000 
They bill the client 90000 and they try to profit from that. So you have to know your worth. This being said, sometimes you will lose your job for making this kind of play. That's where you have to evaluate, am I in a position where I'm ready to walk away? I'm ready to walk away at any time. I fire bad clients. I have a half a dozen people who work with me now. I created a little creative workshop called makumaku.ca, M-A-K-U, M-A-K-U dot C-A. Uh, and I have a half a dozen people who work with me. But I've fired a couple of clients because they're, they're rude or they don't buy good work. And you, you, for me, I can't accept that because I'm in a long-term game. I'm in a, I'm in the, lo I'm playing the long game. So, so this, this is it now. You're an entrepreneur, and you yeah. are going to be working on your own business. But that's not for everybody. There are all kinds of profiles. I have a person who works for me. This person's wish is isn't to make six figures, or it's to work X number of hours a week and have this much revenue so that this person can coach basketball. Okay, just tell me. That's the other mistake that people make. They don't communicate well with their colleagues, their bosses, what they really want. And sometimes that costs you. Sometimes, uh, uh, and both sides will cost you. But I, when, I, when, I start, uh, when I hire someone, I ask, they say, well, how many hours a week is the job? And I say, well, how many hours a week do you want to work? I like it. I've got two women who, are, who are, have kids who, who work with me on projects, and they said, I don't want to be a full-time employee. I want to work part-time. I want to work this many hours a week, and this is how much money I want to make. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't negotiate. Yeah, but you're finding the right people for the job. Yes, one, people. It's about people. And two, I write the pitch based on those numbers. And if the client says, no, that's too much, I go, okay, call somebody else. So, okay, in a nutshell, because I know that we do have yeah, to wrap up. We're already out of time. We're out of time. So we're going to end it on that. That, that flew. Bye.